Who's going to save me from this body of death? That's the saints that walk humbly before their God. They understand God's grace. Thanks for joining us at Hope of Our Calling. Let's get started in our study of 1 Peter. Well, hi, saints, and welcome back to the Hope of Our Calling. And I believe that tonight we will be able to make our way through the entire epistle. I want us to go back to the first chapter of Peter. In verse 2, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. I believe that Peter started this epistle this way to give us a summary of what he was about to take us through, through the rest of this letter. And as you go through, I would encourage you to reread this. Just now that we've gone through the studies, go back and read through this epistle. And what I believe you're going to find is that Peter tells us all of the things that we are in Christ. Then he tells us how we get there, how we come to understand with a, an experiential knowledge that we're elect of God that we're his children, that we have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled, and that we're kept by his power through faith, and that we're going to go through trials. But that's because faith is more precious than gold. That in those trials, when we finally understand and accept this, that we will have trials, that we will get glimmers of the end of our faith, which is our salvation. Peter is comprehensive in encouraging us by disclosing to us who we are in Christ, as well as being faithful to discipline us as well, exhorting us to gird up the loins of our mind. And later on he says that we would have the mind of Christ, That we have to purify our soul through obedience, through the Spirit. And then he tells us we're born again through the Word of God. He tells us to lay aside all of those lusts of the flesh because we're called a holy priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation to represent God to the world. That we need to have an honest communication with non-believers. That we need to represent Christ in all of our affairs by submitting to the ordinance of governance that God has put over us. To stand tall in his righteousness, even though persecuted. Reminding us that Christ's our example and that we're to follow in his footsteps. And he suffered with no sin or guile. He was reviled, but he didn't revile back. He suffered, but he didn't threaten. 
he committed himself to the one who is able to judge righteously. And as our example, we need to follow that. Peter reminds us that we have been restored to the righteous shepherd of our souls. He goes on to give a sequence of those who need to submit to God's order. In chapter 3, wives submit to your own husbands. Husbands dwell with your wives in understanding. Servants obey your masters. God's ways are absolutely perfect. And when we seek to follow his ways, our lives are blessed, challenged, but blessed. We accomplish being more than conquerors in Christ by sanctifying God in our hearts. And when we do that, when people challenge our faith, we're ready to give them an answer of God's compassion, mercy, love, and grace, and then share with them the plan of salvation. Peter reminds us that as Christ suffered for us, we need to arm ourselves with this same mind, that we need to suffer for others. We need to bear things patiently. We need to guard our tongues, and we need to remember that the end is coming. And we need to be sober about that. We need to be watchful in prayer. We need to love one another with a fervent love. We are to exercise the giftings that God has given us with one another because that's why God gave them to us, to build up the body of Christ. And last week we studied that we're not to think it strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try us, as though some strange thing is happening to us. Peter's just been telling us that we are elect. God has had this plan of sanctification going on since before the world began. The Lamb was crucified before the foundation of the world. Why would Christ, the Lamb of God, need to be crucified before the plan was implemented? Because God knew. He knows everything. Do you know that? He knows everything. He's at work in everything in our lives. And as we learn today, he wants us to cast our cares on him, that we may be victorious in Christ. So he goes on, he says that if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. As we travel through this world as pilgrims, like Peter told us, that we want to be reflecting Christ in every situation. And that in this world, we're going to have trials and tribulations. Jesus himself told us that. But in that trial and tribulation, we are to take it as Christ did, committing the situation to the one who is able to judge righteously. Because the end goal is that we 
stand in his righteousness in every situation, and we have the guarantee that he is with us. And in that, we will see great and mighty things happen in our lives. So continuing in verse 15, it says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's affairs. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Again, Peter, he's reminding us that we're new creations. He's reminding us we've been born again. He's reminding us we're citizens of heaven and that we want to distance ourselves from the carnality we used to walk in. And then in verse 17, it says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, let's talk honestly. Even though we are new creations in Christ, even though we're citizens of heaven, even though we have the power of his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we must all confess to the truth that it is difficult to still be walking in the flesh here on earth because we've been born into it. We've been accustomed to the ways of the world, but God's ways are not man's ways. God's ways are higher. And by the power of his spirit that he gives to us at that moment of confession of faith, we do have the accessibility to overcome. But what does Proverbs say? It says, lean not on your own understanding. Why? because that's what we have a propensity to do. Lean on our own understanding. I got this. I don't need anybody's help. I figured it out myself. I'm going in my own power. How's that working for you? We're to lean not on our own understanding, Proverbs 3 says. We're to, in all our ways, acknowledge him, meaning acknowledge God as God acknowledge that we're his children, acknowledge that his power dwells within us, that his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding, his discernment is accessible to us. And therefore, we're drawing on that accessibility in order to walk through the situations of life. But it's not natural. It is only after repetitiveness, (laughs) practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing, that we finally get to those places where we remember to rejoice in all things. This world is harsh. The enemy, the prince of the air of this world, has deceived for millennia. He knows exactly how to attack. And even though we've committed our lives to the Lord and we are safe and sound in his keeping, We're safe in in the palm of his hand. Nobody can snatch us from it, John 17 says. And even though that is true, the enemy doesn't want us to be effective for God. He doesn't want us to go and share the good news of the gospel with those who are perishing. He doesn't want us to shine the light of truth 
in the midst of his darkness, in the midst of his lying and deceiving? No. He wants to sideline us. He wants to get us on the bench and keep us there. And he knows exactly how to do that. But we're more than conquerors through Christ. Therefore, we know as we spend time in God's word, the answers to these dilemmas, that in all our ways we are to acknowledge him. We're to rejoice in all things. We're to count it all joy when we are tried. Verse 13, if we back up, says, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. You see, because Christ was holy, we're exhorted to be holy as he is holy. And as we walk in an unholy world, our holiness is going to stand out. And those that are convicted by it, who don't see that conviction as somebody saying, wrong way, wrong way, turn around, and just harden their hearts against the Holy Spirit's knocking, they're not going to like the holiness that by God's grace and strength we stand in. Therefore, they will set their sights against it. And Peter keeps telling us that. But he also reminds us that it's not just outside influences that are going to attack us. It's going to be the memory of that old flesh. And he's exhorting us not to. I can't imagine life without God's word. It is the lamp unto my feet. It is the living hope. It is the knowledge of our destination. And those without that knowledge are waiting for us to bring it to them. Verse 18, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? One day every knee is going to bow. There is going to be a reckoning, an accounting of all things that have been done. And everyone will see as they are known. There will be no more deception. There will be no more hiding. There will be no more scheming or manipulating your way around things. No, there will not. The light will be shown upon everything. And for us who are children of the king, it is a constant battle to put down our flesh, to resist the lusts of the flesh. But in Christ. We have the power to do that, but he imagined that those that don't have that power, how difficult it is for them. Verse 19, wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So as we walk in this world, fighting against the lust of our flesh, fighting against those that would come against us, fighting to be still and know he's God and has us, it takes a commitment on our part. We've got to take everything we learn to heart. We've got to commit the care of our souls, because Peter's already told us that we're kept by the power of God. Do you receive that? 
Have you received that? Do you believe that? Because if you do, the peace of God that goes beyond understanding guards your heart and your mind. And you find that abundant rest that we've been promised. But it took our commitment. It took the commitment for us to say, I surrender all, Lord. Help me onto the altar, Lord. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That was written by a heart that comprehended the, the struggle we all go through. The same struggle Christ went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. Isn't it wonderful to have that companionship, that fellowship in suffering? Christ knows. He knows exactly what we're going through and desires are acknowledging his presence to help us through it. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, The elders which are among you, I exhort. And then he humbly says, Who am also an elder, and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Remember, we talked about being partakers of his glory as his spirit of glory descended upon us, as we stood in his righteousness and we experienced his deliverance. Now, I want you to keep in mind, he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. He is talking to the first century church here. But guess what? For every disciple of God's word, for every student of God's word, to whom much is given, much is required, we could qualify here. Because the sole purpose of our being here as believers, as disciples of Christ, is to win souls into the kingdom of God. And in that process, find ourselves transformed. So he says, elders who are among you, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not by filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. A ready mind because the time is short. A ready mind because nobody knows the day, the time, the hour in which the Lord is going to come back to claim his bride. We need to be ready. Remember when we talked a couple of lessons ago about the gifts that God has given us? We're supposed to be operating in the gifts that God has given us. Not claiming, I want that gift, like Peter tried to do when he asked Jesus about John. And Jesus' response is, what is it to you what I do with him? Jesus wants us to know what our giftings are and to walk in them and not do anything for personal, prideful gain. Where does that lead? But false doctrines misguided sheep, and eventually extreme judgment. God is going to judge the church first. Verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. I've shared before the blessing I had of studying under Pastor Chuck Smith, who led by example. 
multitudes of students under Pastor Chuck will testify to his leading by example, to being in the trenches to get the work done, not loftily lifting himself. And yet often that's all we see is the pride of man. Please, please, please remember, if you want to really serve the Lord, you must die to self first. We are to be examples of Christ to those who are growing in Christ. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Jesus didn't lead from a lofty position. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He depended on God's provision for absolutely every one of his needs. His communication with the Father was steadfast. His meat was to do the will of the Father, not his own. We must be examples of Christ so that when Christ returns, we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not thrown as an outcast. Remember, many are going to come to him and say, but Jesus, I did this. I did that. And he's going to simply say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because for the heart that knows Christ, that heart is seeking with everything in it to die to the fleshly impulse and to walk in newness of life in the spirit. And what's, what is the result of that? It says we're going to receive a crown of glory. But you know what we're going to do with that crown of glory? <laughs> we're going to throw it right at his feet because we're going to, it's going to be so known. We're so unworthy. The tug of war we have right now, saints, and I love you all so much, and I understand this tug of war, is that we find ourselves unworthy, and yet God blesses us. We see his word that tells us how we're exalted, how we're his children, how he's going to give us a crown, how we're the bride of Christ, and all we can say is, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this body of death? That's the saints that walk humbly before their God. They understand. But God's grace, his mercy, his compassion, his loving kindness scoops us up and says, Be still. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I will never leave you and never forsake you. He's faithful to finish the work he's begun in you. Do you believe that? Do you receive that? He's going to finish the work he's begun in you because it's all about him. He's doing everything. All that we're required to do is believe, trust, fight the good fight of faith and say, no, I will not give in to the liar, stealer, destroyer. He's been a liar since day one. And he hasn't stopped. Verse 5, likewise, you younger, submit yourself to the elder. Yea, all of you, I love this, be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. 
Do you hear that? The blessing of humility, of being in the trenches, of esteeming each other higher, by loving each other with a fervency, is God's grace. Verse 6, humble yourself. Again, clothe yourself in humility. Humble yourself. Subject yourself one to another. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Peter has been telling us God has planned. Peter has been telling us we're living stones being built up into a temple that is filled with God's spirit. He is telling us that in due time, as we surrender all, as we humble ourselves like Christ and says, not my will, but thine be done, he may exalt us in due time. That is the goal here. God has a plan. That plan is extravagant, so far past our comprehending. It is a transformational plan that takes a ragamuffin and turns them into royalty. Verse 7, how do we do that? By casting all of our cares upon him. In trust, we basically say, I will not fret. I will not worry. I will give this to you, Lord, and trust your word that declares you are here, you are working, and you're faithful to complete what you've begun, and I am yours. And after this brilliant exhortation, Peter does what he's been doing throughout this epistle. Verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. That is a very strong passage. Do you believe Satan wants to devour you? Because he does. But that doesn't breed fear, that breeds faith. Because I'm casting all my cares on him. I'm trusting and believing that I'm kept by his power. He's faithful to complete his work in me and will deliver me as I let his spirit of glory descend upon me. Verse 9, whom resist steadfastly in the faith. Do you see that? That's how we resist the devil. We trust the Lord. We trust his word. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, this is not an anomaly what we're going through. All of the saints in all of history have been persecuted as they walked in the Lord. Persecuted by their flesh, persecuted by others. Resist steadfastly in the faith knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who has called us, called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, 
strengthened, and settle you. This is how Peter is concluding this brilliant epistle of proclamation and exhortation. Make you perfect, established, strengthened, and settle you. God has a plan. That plan is perfect. That plan is in play. And he is right here with his hands all over us. Leading the way from the foundations of the world. Leading the way. Till we're together again, may God bless and keep you. For more information about Kendra Martin and Hope of Our Calling, you can email her at kendramartinministries at gmail.com or visit the website at www.hopeofourcalling.org.